Hello and welcome to the Seacoast Vineyard Podcast. We're so glad you've joined us online. For daily encouragement, events, service times, and more, check us out on social media. And now, this week's message. Man, God is good. Amen? Yeah, good cheering section for God. Hey, I'm Skip. Um, I'm the executive pastor here at the church, and uh, I get to talk to you about a staff transition right now. You know, staff transitions can be really sad, and they can be really happy. Today's a happy one, though. Yeah, yeah, it's much better than the sad ones. Um, anyhow, I, I, not many, probably many of you know this, but for the last three and a half years, I've been serving as the executive pastor and the worship pastor um, at the same time. It's sort of a, it's like juggling, um, but not as successful is juggling, but um, it's been a great time in my life to do this. I always knew it would be a season um, that I would work both jobs. Also, my wife let me know that it would be a season and kept reminding me, hey, this is a season. And I said, I know, it's a season, obviously. Duh. Um, But it's been a great season, and I really enjoyed it. And during that season, God sent us Ashton Morris. Now, if you haven't gotten a chance to know Ashton, you really should because you're missing out because she's really, really awesome. And um, I used to pray back when I first was doing both jobs. I was like, God, send somebody to replace me as executive pastor. And, and he sent a worship pastor instead. <laughs> so, you know, sometimes you lose. Um, uh, but no, in all, in all seriousness, I couldn't be happier than to turn the reins over to Ashton to head up this group. This group is amazing. Um, Some of these people have been on this team for so long. And um, when I first saw Ashton lead a worship rehearsal, I just felt like God saying, hey, she's going to replace you. And of course, I said, well, when? Um, And he didn't say. um, The answer is now. Today. Um, So um, Ashton's going to be leading up this worship encourage her and pray for her and love her and get to know her heart and lift her up. Um, She's going to do things differently. In a lot of ways, it's going to be better. It is because she's going to have all her time to devote to it. And I'm going to have all my time to devote to nurturing the staff, growing them, doing the financial stuff of the church, uh, leading the way in programs and whatnot in the church. And I'm really excited about that. Um, so I guess pray for both of us, um, cause I always thought this would be a bad moment, but I'm thrilled to be honest. Um, I'm thrilled to be doing it and she's still going to have me on the team sometimes. Um, she had to sign that, um, yes, so, um, I'll still be around when she'll have me. Um, I'm sure we'll have meetings about that, um, but I just want to pray for her now as she goes forward into this. Um, ministry is a tricky thing. It's a, it's a wonderful thing, and it, it's been a great life for me to do it. But it's hard. Um, so let's just pray for her that she has strength, that she has everything she needs um, to do this and to do this well, and in a way that ministers to not just you but to her and her family, to her and Alex. Um, so let's pray for them. You know, God, we thank you so much for Ashton. Um, so grateful that she 
that she wound up here. So grateful for her giftings, but mostly her heart, Lord. She loves you deeply, and it shows, and we love that about her. So strengthen her. Give her wisdom beyond her years. Give her peace. Give her contentment. Help her to do the hard things and know you're there. Holy Spirit, just guide her in everything that she does in this ministry. We're so thankful for this day, and we give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen. And guess what? I'm not doing the announcements. Also very exciting. <laughs> Megan is, though. Thanks. Um, I have notes this week because I've got a lot to say and not a lot of time to say it. Um, first, I'd like to dismiss, though, Vine Kids. So if you're in Vine Kids, that is kindergarten through fourth grade, please um, go back and do what Vine Kids do. Coast, stay with us for just a few minutes. Um, there they all go. Bye, little chicklets. Cool. Um, so I have some exciting announcements of things happening here at the church. This upcoming Tuesday, we are having the Young Lives Interest Meeting. So if you're familiar at all, yes, with Young Life or Young Lives, Young Lives is a branch of the Young Life Ministry that ministers specifically to teen moms. And so the Young Life area has recently hired a Young Lives coordinator, Naomi, who I don't, I think she's back in Vine Kids, right? Right now, um, but sh we are so excited because she's one of us, Seacoasters, and so um, we are excited to come alongside of her. And we are hosting Tuesday night at 5:30 an interest meeting for you to learn about how you can get involved with Young Lives. There are a few different ways you can be involved, whether it's being on committee being partnering with us financially, whether you want to be a mentor yourself to teen moms in this area, or if you want to serve more behind the scenes with food, um, child care, there's a lot of ways you can get involved. So 530 this Tuesday, we're going to host it here at the church. Um, come meet Naomi, get to know her, um, and just see how you can be involved. And then the following Sunday, June 26th, is our IF table gathering. So all you ladies in the house, yes. IF is an incredible ministry for women. And IF tables is an incredible way for the women of this church to come together, get into God's word together, fellowship with one another, and just build one another up in community. That happens directly after the second service. And so if you want to register on the app or talk to Miss Lisa or Obia, um, there are a lot of ways. But Ladies, you do not want to miss this. And so, fellas, do what you can to get your woman to if tables <laughs> the 26th. That's not next Sunday. It's the Sunday after. Um, cool. Well, those of you who have been with us the past few weeks have been hearing about the youth group gearing up to go to camp. Well, we just got back <laughs> last night. It was an incredibly powerful and exhausting week. You can see the screens. They're going to play videos and uh, show some pictures back there. But I just wanted to share a little bit about what God did um, during this trip. We left Monday morning, got back last night. Um, those leaders back there, can y'all cheer for them who, uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
they poured so much into the lives of these students over this past week. Um, and it was just incredible to watch um, them give their lives away for an entire week. Um, the students are back there in the back row too, probably sleeping. I hope not, but they are. Um, <clears throat> but something really interesting occurred to me while we were on this trip. So the very last day of camp, if you're unfamiliar with Fuge Camp, um, it's a camp put on by Lifeway organization. And there's a few different like tracks I guess you could go for when you go on um, go to camp so we originally were signed up for Mfuge which is the missions camp well we get there Monday morning miscommunication some things happen and they're like all right well like you can't do Mfuge and I'm like what I just spent five hours on a bus with these kids and you're telling me I can't and so I called Tommy well first I'm like blowing up his phone and it's on do not disturb you'll know why later but I'm like answer me and finally he does and he's like it'll be good it's great just like figure it out and we're like okay we'll figure it out um, no he was super encouraging and so so he asked me to go to the camp director and see what we could do and um, we decided we were gonna switch tracks of what we're going to do. So there's another camp that runs simultaneously called Centrifuge, which is all um, geared towards like recreation and they do like classroom rec and uh, teachings and groups and small groups. Um, we've never done Centrifuge in the past because I love you students so much, but we don't have very athletic students. Um, <laughs> they like are allergic to being outside and um, and playing games and doing stuff like that. And so we've always done Mission Fuge. And so I'm like, all right, well, here we go. So I go back to them when I meet up with them. And I'm like, y'all, the Lord really is ready. He, he wants to grow you this week. He's going to, you're going to play games. And they're like, what? And we had a student cry. And I was like, it's going to be okay, I promise. <laughs> Just trust me as we trust the Lord. Um, and it was incredible to see them step out of their comfort zone and jump into things that really are not exciting for them. We went on a, a three-mile hike. There's they're t they're trying to tell people it was six miles, but it was three. It felt like it felt like twenty seven, really. Um, but it was it was awesome. And so the last night we're sitting there, and they go around and they pass out these cards, asking you know like how many salvations did you have or recommitments to the Lord did you have? And I was like, well, I don't I don't think we really had any. And I was at first I was discouraged, but then the Lord was like, no, Megan. Megan, you brought a group of students who are already sold out for me. Think back through this week of how you saw me move in the students' lives. And so I texted leaders and I was saying, what did you see God do? And uh, they sent me back responses. And what we saw was students stepping out powerfully in their faith, pouring into, encouraging one another, leaders, staff at the camp. And so here's just a few ways that we saw the Lord continue to sanctify the lives of our students. We saw them encouraging the staff workers of the camp. Like it, it was pretty rocky around mealtime. And we had students going up to those workers in the cafeteria, encouraging them, thanking them, which no middle schooler really does think about those things. So that was incredible. We had one night during our church group time, we went around and just did like popcorn prayers and we had a student without prompting pray for one of the leaders in the group 
We got to one of my favorite moments as camp is we get assigned a staff who's like a college age student to our church group. And on the last night, we like to pray over them. And it's it's just blows my mind every year. The staffers say this rarely happens where a church prays over me. And so we got to sit there and we prayed over this staffer. And um, it was just incredible to hear him say how grateful he was to have a group of middle schoolers and high schoolers pray for him. We had really, really deep, hard discussions about um, things that are very trendy in culture today with students. We had a leader, though, who we sat down in our small group of girls, and one of them asked a really hard question, and she said, I have been studying this for the past 10 months. It's my time to shine. And sure enough, she shone. It was incredible, the conversations we had that same night. One of the guys' small groups um, were walking around the, the campus. They were talking. I was like, hey, guys, what are you doing? And they said, we're just continuing our small group. We just want to keep talking about what we were talking about. I said, what are you talking about? And they said, sexuality. And I said, oh, okay. <laughs> well, <laughs> that's, uh, that's heavy. Um, okay. But then, two days later, that student came up to me and said, Megan, I feel like I've gotten to know all of these students so much better at this camp, and I feel a part of them, and I want to start a small group at my house. Yeah. What middle school, sixth grade boy student says, I want to start a small group at my house like you adults do. Our, uh, our leadership team got to hang out and spend a lot of time together, which normally doesn't happen um, when we go to MFUGE. And we got to continue to pour into one another and build um, one another up. And we probably had, honestly, more fun than the students did, especially during the silent disco. Um, they all left, and we leaders stayed and danced till the end, which was funny. Um, <laughs> but it was incredible. And there's one story that I want to share with y'all, um, which just, like, was so powerful. So we have a student who brought some sort of little mini electric guitar um, with him to camp. And he, the first night, set up outside of the Nibble Nook, which is the snack shack, and started playing music like you would see like a street performer on the streets. And um, people started giving him money. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and so the one of the camp staffers came up to him and said, um, hey, man, like, can't keep this. Why don't at the end of the week when we do the missions offering, because they have a whole mission thing, why don't you give it to the missions offering? He said, okay, I'll do that. Well, he was only made to promise that that first night that money would go to the missions offering. Yeah. So the next night he sets up again and he makes more money. And I'm just sitting here like, I don't know this. Do I know this kid? I don't know if I want to, like, it was, it was just so bizarre. I couldn't turn my eyes away from it. And so he makes more money the second night. And the missions offering comes around, and he gives both nights' worth of his earnings to the missions. He sacrificed what he made, even though he was only promised to do it the first night. Well, then that night after the missions offering, he sets up one last night, his final performance for the week. And he makes back all that he gave the day prior. And the next morning at breakfast, I go up to him and we're talking about this. And he says, you know what, Megan? I, th I think the Lord honored that I gave. And I think he, he gave me back because I gave away. 
And it was incredible to see a student recognize God's faithfulness and provision and be humbled by it and be moved by it. And you could see in that moment, there was a shift in his heart. It was one of the most profound moments I've had with a student when it comes to sacrifice and giving. And so um, with that, this perfect setup, um, it's time for us to give our tithes and offerings. (laughs) But in all seriousness, y'all, I don't share that for any reason other than to just encourage you in what the Lord is doing in the lives of these students. And so I want to encourage you, be faithful, courageous, recognize what the Lord has given you and give back to him. And um, y'all know there's a few ways that you can do it. You can text to give 84321 with the number amount in the message, the buckets go by. Um, but y'all, I just, I just want to be a church that's generous, trusting in the Lord's faithfulness like that student. Um, and so let's pray. Jesus, we thank you so much for your goodness. God, I thank you for what you're doing in the lives of our students. God, what a humbling and honoring opportunity it is to um, walk alongside of them. God, I thank you that you're continuing to grow them and shape them. God, that they are continuing to step out in faithfulness, uh, to try hard things, God, and to press in. Father, I pray that you would continue to just pour into them. God, I thank you that you are a God who provides, that you are a God who is generous. Um, May we be people that reflect that. God, that as you give, we give back to you um, because you're worthy um, with no expectations in return. Jesus, we thank you for all that you're doing within this church. We love you, God. We ask that you would soften our hearts, open our ears to receive the word you have for us this morning. And it's in your mighty name we pray. Amen. Coasters, let's go. Hey guys, can you hear me? Awesome. I had to do this last service. I was super nervous um, for a couple of reasons. One, I was like, man, what if I get carried away feeling like a Pentecostal preacher? You know, just like, oh, you know, holding the mic. And then two, I'm Italian. And so like not being able to talk with my hands is like putting me on mute. You know, like when you hand me, so when we would have kids um, and they were babies and I'd be holding one and somebody would ask me a question, I would literally have to give the child to my wife to be able to answer them, I'd be, well, see, you know, and I'd start talking, you know, and that's when I noticed that I've got this hand thing, like, without my hands, I'm basically useless. It was, um, it wasn't a call that I was expecting. Uh, a friend of mine called me, like, right after church one Sunday. We were on 
staff together. We had just finished up the morning stuff, the morning services, and my phone rang, and it was him. We were serving lunch to some of our students, and I thought it might be related to church, and so I answered, and I wasn't prepared for what he said. When I answered, and he said, Tommy, my house is on fire. I was like, I, I remember thinking, like, what? Like, what, what, how do you, how do you explain, like, what, you know, when I'm fumbling over my words, and I said, what are you talking about? And he goes, my wife called the fire department. She's getting the kids out of the house. It is burning down. And I just, I remember thinking, like, what am I supposed to do right now? Like, I, you know, I don't know how to put out fire. I mean, I, there's really nothing I can, I'm not a fireman. You know, like, I didn't have much to offer. And so I said, the only four words that have served me well in moments of crisis over the years that, that I've just learned to say, which was, I'm on my way. I hung up the phone, and I jumped in the car, and I headed towards his house, and sure enough, there were fire trucks everywhere. The whole neighborhood was blocked off. At some point, I just abandoned my car and went walking to his house, and together, we tried to get in there and get out the valuables, and we, we managed to salvage some. And we walked through that loss together, and in the days and weeks that happened after that, we tried to help him get connected to the help that he needed. We watched as he walked with his family through the whole insurance thing. Like trying to figure out like how much of this is a loss. And it came back that it was a complete loss. And I remember thinking that's so odd because we had made trips back in the days since. And when you look at the front of the house, it was this, this beautiful brick house, gray, white brick on the front. When you look at the front of the house, if you looked from a certain angle, if you looked a certain way, it looked fine. Like that front of the house that's made out of brick, the part that doesn't burn down, right? The rest of it, the inside was just basically kindling. It was gone. But when you're looking at the outside, it's like, okay, it looks okay. But it was a complete loss. I learned something so, so tangibly in that moment that things can look fine externally. They can look healthy on the outside. They, they can look safe and pristine even. But as you go in, you can see that, man, there's nothing but death and loss on the inside. It's a little like what Jesus said. You guys remember that encounter, this famous encounter that he had with with a group of people called the Pharisees, the religious elite, the religious leaders, the people who prided themselves on keeping the commands, on being obedient, on being pure, on being pristine in all the external ways. And Jesus looks at them, and I love this because it's such a great first century dig. He goes, you guys are like whitewashed tombs. But you're like, a whitewashed tomb? He's like, yeah, you look great on the outside. You're painted white, you're clean, you're pristine, but on the inside, you're dead. Like, there's nothing going on there. He says it's possible to have everything right on the outside. To be something that creates envy in the eyes of others. We can look good spiritually. We can look good religiously. But on the inside, there's nothing but death, man. There's a corpse there. And it's gross. And Jesus goes, man, you Pharisees are in danger of being that. It's possible. He calls them 
whitewashed tombs. It's like my friend's house that's got the brick on the outside, but it's fried on the inside. And it's exactly what the Apostle Paul is warning against in this section that we're going to look at today of 1 Corinthians. If you've got your Bibles, open up to 1 Corinthians chapter 3. If you're using a device, uh, you can go ahead and get that out. Open it up. No one's going to judge you. Open it up to 1 Corinthians chapter 3. I say they're not going to judge. They're not going to think you're texting your friends or playing on Facebook. They're going to know that you're using the Bible app on your phone. Just turn off the notifications, right? Because the enemy knows when you're trying to read the Word of God, and I think that's when he sometimes showers us with all these distractions, right? If you're joining us online, we want to say a special word of greeting to you as well as you get your Bibles out. 1 Corinthians chapter 3. If you do not own a Bible, we've got lots throughout the room. You can raise your hand. Somebody will bring you one. Uh, you can put your name in it. That is yours. It's our gift to you. We want everyone to be able to have access to this book because I believe the words of this book will change your lives. So we got some coming to you right now. That's awesome. If you're new to faith, if you don't necessarily know how to find 1 Corinthians chapter 3, it's real easy. The New Testament book, the part of your Bible, that second half, right, where all the guys' names are, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, go Go there. Right after that, you'll see a big old book named Acts and another big old book named Romans. And then immediately following that is one called First Corinthians. First Corinthians chapter 3. We've been looking at this book as a church. It didn't start out as a book. It started out as a letter. The Apostle Paul, one of the first Christians, first Christian missionary, church planter. He, he, he plants these churches all around the known world, and then he writes letters to them, right? And this letter that became a book, this letter we have access to today. The Holy Spirit miraculously saved it for us, for us to be able to look at. This church that Paul had planted was in a place called Corinth. That's why we named it Corinthians, right? In a place called Corinth, it was a port city, a place of anonymity, right on the coast, a beach town, a resort town, a place very similar to us. There was a saying in the first century world that what happens in Corinth stays in Corinth, right? It was that type of city. And then there's a group of Jesus followers called the church, not a building, but a group of people. There's a group of Jesus followers trying to act like Jesus in the middle of that environment. Paul's writing to those folks, and I kind of go, man, that sounds a lot like us. We have so much in common with this church. So I think as a church, we should study what type of church we've been called to be because we are being planted. We are being uh, 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 zoned in on in a place very similar to Corinth. So we've been studying this together. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, we hit this passage last week. But as I left last week, I was like, boy, we didn't say enough about that. We've got to come back to it. So we're going to read it again today. We're going to unpack it together. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 10 through 15. Paul says, By the grace that God has given me, I laid a foundation as a wise builder, and someone else is building on it. But each one should build with care. For no one can lay any foundation other than the one already laid, which is Jesus Christ. If anyone builds on this foundation using gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hay, or straw, their work will be shown for what it is, because the day will bring it to light. It will be revealed with fire, and the fire will test the quality of each person's work. If what has been built survives, the builder will receive a reward. If it is burned up, the builder will suffer loss, but yet will be saved, even though only as one escaping through the flames. Lord Jesus, as we examine your word, would you speak to us? Would you help us understand it this morning? We love you. We pray these things in your name. Amen. This, um, this passage speaks 
of fire. And so immediately it's got my interest. I don't mean to call myself a pyromaniac, but I do remember as a kid just being like really fascinated with fire. It is kind of a fascinating idea, right? At one moment you have nothing, and then the next moment you just make a little move and suddenly you've got a flame. Like it's such a cool chemical combination. I remember as a kid just being blown away by that. I would just light matches and watch them burn. I'm a little embarrassed to tell you that. Some of you know I grew up, part of my, my childhood, we spent in a camper, which is basically a tinderbox. Like, it's just ready to go, right? And, and I remember my mom was always like, don't play with fire. Don't play with matches in the camper, because this thing will go up like a Roman candle, which is basically like saying to me, you should play with fire, you know, because that's exactly what I wanted to do. So she would leave. My mom worked, and she went to school, and so she, there were long hours that I spent of my childhood alone with my sister in this camper and I remember like we had a box of mat- those wood those long wooden matches you know what I'm talking about and I would like them uh, so I wasn't totally you know reckless in this I would I had a plan I filled up the sink with water I plugged it up you know I filled and I would light the matches over the sink so worst case scenario I drop it it goes into a sink and goes out right so I would light these long wooden matches and I would just it's kind of creepy I would just stand there like oh you know I would turn it upside down and watch the flame go up the wooden stick, right, to my fingers. And I'm like, oh, I wonder how close it can get to my fingers before I have to drop it. It was like a game that I would play with myself. And it'd get, you know, and I'd drop it in, you know, it'd go out, and I'd light it again. And I'm like, you know, and I'm just standing there like an idiot, like staring at the flame because it's captivating. But suddenly and eventually, the wood from the sticks wore off. It's just the, the fascination with it. And so it's like I had to move on to something. And I'll never forget, like, what I moved on to was paper towels. You guys know paper towels? Like, these things burn pretty good. Um, they, yeah, I would tear off a paper towel, and I would, like, I would light the, the matchstick, and I'd watch it burn. And then I'd light the paper towel and hold it upside down. And children in the room, do not get any ideas, right? This is bad idea. Like, don't do this. But I would watch the flame go all the way up the paper towel to the top, you know, and the paper towels have a very unique smell. There's the smell of sulfur from the match, but there's also the smell of burned paper, which is a very unique smell. And then there was this totally other smell that was going on. I was like, I don't even know what that is, but I just kept doing it. I'm like, whoa, that's cool. And I drop it into the sink, and then one day I looked out the window, and I saw mom coming home unannounced. I was like, oh, no. But I had thought of this. I had prepared for this. I had practiced for this. In case this ever happened, I immediately pulled the plug on the sink. The water went out. I fanned the air, sprayed some spray, and then I went and sat down as if nothing had happened. But you all know as well as I do, that smell does not go away very quickly. <laughs> Mom opened the door, and she came in, and I could see her nose twitch just a little bit. And I thought, oh, boy, here it comes. But we've prepared for this, right? So her nose twitches, and she goes, Tommy, uh... Have you been playing with matches? And it's like, oh, boy, if I lie right now, I got to go all the way with this lie. Have you ever done that before where you're like, you're weighing out? Can I go all 100 yards? Like, because, you know, this isn't going to be the first time she asks, and I got to commit. It's now or never. So I thought for a minute, and I go, no, I have not. And I stuck to it, right? I prepared for this. And she goes, okay, very casually. She kind of walks away a little bit. And then a couple of minutes later, because I thought she bought it, she goes, Tom, which is not a good sign. 
Tom is my name when I'm in trouble. She started with Tommy. She moved to Tom. She goes, Tom, I'm going to ask you again. Have you been playing with matches? And now I've got the angel on the one shoulder and the, the devil on the other. You know, and the angel is going, you should just fess up. You should just tell her. She wouldn't have asked you twice or called you Tom. She knows. You know, there's no way you can go all 100 yards with this. And then the devil on the other shoulder is like, there's no evidence. She can't, she can't accuse you of anything. Like, there's no, you cleaned it all up. There's no way she can prove anything. And so I went, I doubled down, and I go, Mom, I have not. And she goes, okay. And very casually, she walks over to me. She goes, I'm going to ask you to stand up for a minute. And I said, okay. And it did. Man, it smelled funky in there. You know, is that sulfur? Is that, you know, that, that weird scent that I couldn't identify? And, and, and the paper towels, right? And she walks me over to the bathroom in our camper, which is a camper. It's not very far away from the sink, right? And she stands me in front of the mirror, and she points at the mirror, and she goes, I'm going to ask you one more time. And I looked up, and I was like, there's something different about me. And it took me a minute to figure out that I had this beautiful hair, a beautiful head of hair, right? And the bangs were entirely gone. (laughs) The eyebrows were entirely gone. The eyelashes were entirely gone because I'd been standing in front of a sink going, you know, for like 20 minutes before she came out. It was gone. And then she turned me around. And I'm looking like a burn victim, right? I've got all these black hairs in front. And she goes, I'm going to ask you one more time. (laughs) And needless to say, I got a spanking. And I deserved it. I had lied to her. And it was fire. Y'all, fire is no joke. Fire stone. And when I read this passage, I can't help but think about that moment from my childhood. Because Paul is talking in this passage about fire. And the fire that he's describing, he's not meaning to scare us. His goal isn't to scare. It's not to warn us or to threaten us with the flames of hell or anything like that. This actually isn't even directed that way, right? He's writing to a church. He's writing to saved people. And he goes, I just want to give you a heads up about something that's coming. I actually think this is for your benefit, right? He knows there's a day coming when we're going to have to stand before the Lord Jesus. He calls it a day of reckoning. There's a day that's coming. And how messed up would it be of him to know about that day and yet not warn us about it? And not give us a heads up about it. And that's his goal in writing this section of scripture. If you look at verse 10, look at what he says. He goes, by the grace that God has given me. I love that start to this section. He says, by the grace that God has given me. And he just kind of paused right there. Because God had been so good to Paul. Paul is saying, I planted a church here. I planted it among you by the grace that he has given me. But this church is not because of me. It's because of him. God was working through me. I am nothing. This is a statement of humility. Paul knew who he was before Jesus. You guys remember? He's like, I was a Christian killer. I was a terrorist. I was an executioner. I was a prideful murderer. And I say prideful because he had been present at the stoning of Stephen. You guys remember that? And he saw that the first time someone was killed for believing in Jesus, for teaching about Jesus, that the people were hungry. They were thirsty for more blood. And Paul goes, oh, this is a way to make a name for myself. I could be the first one to start executing Christians. And he goes out and starts rounding them up. This is what he was known. He's like, this is who I used to be. 
And I am nothing, you guys. I, am no, I remember who I was. I remember that person that I was before. But by the grace God has given me, the, the, this beautiful thing that's happening in Corinth, Paul's going, don't you give me credit for that. Don't you give me praise or glory for that. This is all him. His work there was based on nothing but God's undeserved favor. Not his own deserving or merit. We are nothing without God. We are lost without God. And Paul knows this full well. He knows that he's, he's dead without him. Yes, there's this beautiful picture in Christianity that makes its way around theological circles and church circles about how you and I are, are dying in our sins. It's like we're out there in the wreckage of our own lives and our own choices and our own wrongness, and we're, we're floating among that wreckage, right? And we're certainly going to die. At some minute, we're just going to go down and be gone. And then Jesus comes up in a rowboat. When we have no way out, no way left, we're sinking without him. And then he extends to us a lifeline and pulls us to safety and pulls us out of the wreckage of our own lives. And it's a beautiful picture, but it is dead wrong. The Bible doesn't say that you are dying in your sins. The Bible says you're dead in your sins. You're not floating. You're gone. Dead things can't even process a thought towards God. Romans chapter 5 says that while we were yet sinners, while we were yet sinners, Christ died. You know what that means? That means that while you were dead, before you could even think about God, before you could even respond or reciprocate, right? While you were still a sinner, while you were dead, he died for you, risking the fact that you might not choose him. You might not come back to life. You might reject him, and yet he died for you anyway. Not because you're great, but because he is. That's the gospel. He loved you before you could even respond to that. Dead things can't respond. And he loved you enough to die, to die for you. I remember when Hannah and I were early, early in the days of our marriage. I often joke that on day one of our wedding, day one of our marriage, that she would have started having kids then. Like, she was ready, right? And I was not. Like, that was a lot of commitment. It's like, I just got it to this marriage thing. Like, give me a minute. You know, and I started, I went to seminary. I was like, that seems a little irresponsible to be in full-time seminary and raising a family. Like, let's wait to the end. And so during that period between, I would just, we would get pets. I would get her a new pet, right, to stave off, you know, her desire for kids. So we had dogs, we had cats, we had fish, like we had all sorts of stuff. And then we started running out of things that I could get her as a pet, like to stave off, you know, so I was like, you should get a job at a preschool. And so she worked with the infants, true story, six months and younger, right? And then one day God stirred my heart to want to be, I was like, okay, I think it's time. I was nearly done with seminary. I think it's time. And we got pregnant and I had no idea. I had no idea that it might not work out. I didn't know that was a possibility. I thought it was like in the movies, right, where you find out you're pregnant and then you got a baby. Like this is like, boom, it happens that quick. And we lost that pregnancy. And I remember Hannah mourned the loss of it and moved on pretty quickly. And I mourned the loss of it and I couldn't stop mourning. It just seemed to last for, I just couldn't get over it. I didn't know it was a possibility. It broke my heart. It broke my heart. I was like, God, how could you allow that to happen? And surely the day came again that we tried again and we got pregnant. And I remember how delicately we treated it this time. 
It's like walking on eggshells. I was monitoring everything, praying every day, Lord, let this pregnancy work out. Lord, let this pregnancy work out. I was begging him, like, God, I really want this baby to be born. God, I really want this baby to be born. And I would track everything, you know what I mean? Like, they have those charts where you can see what's going on in there, like, on what day it is. And I remember in the early days of it, they're like, it's a whirling, swirling ball of cells, right? It's just like a bunch of chemicals in there. It's like, it's not even a peanut yet. It's just like a ball of cells, a cluster of cells. There's just like this weird chemical reaction going on in there. And then there's like this amoeba, you know, it's like this crazy, you know, and I'm just like begging. I'm like, God, I know that it's a whirling, whirling ball of cells, but there's a baby in there. And God, would you allow this baby to be born? Would you allow this baby? To, I'm begging him, God, allow this baby to be born. And I remember I was out jogging one day. And I was praying to God during, I was praying like, God, would you allow this baby to be born? Would you allow this baby to be born? And then I remember saying to him, I know it's just a ball of cells. I know it's a peanut. I know like it's just a ball of cells, but I would die for that ball of cells. And the thought struck me. That was like, okay, you would lay down and die for this thing that can't, it didn't even have a brain yet. It didn't even have a body yet. Like whatever was in there couldn't even have a thought back in reciprocation or response to me. And it's like, I know, but I would die for that. And it's like he hit me with the thought, that's how I feel about you. Before you could even respond to him, Christ, while you were yet sinners, while you were dead, before you could even respond, before, you had the, the possibility of not responding. He allowed his son to die for you, even knowing you still might reject him. And that's the gospel. That doesn't make us a big deal. That makes him a big deal. The Bible says that's, a, that's the kind of love that he has for you. That, Paul goes, I'm nothing. You guys are getting, you're getting caught up in the wrong thing. Like, if you're looking at me going, man, that church in Corinth is great, he goes, man, by the grace God has given me, I'm an executioner, right? I'm a former terrorist. I know my past. He's great. I'm nothing. He's working through me. And he calls us here. He calls us the foundation. You see that in this passage? 1 Corinthians chapter 3, go back to it for a minute. He says, by the grace God has given me, I laid a foundation as a wise builder. He's like, I was captivated by that love. I was caught by the risen Jesus, and I surrendered my life to him. And that's the foundation. His greatness, that gospel, everything Christ did to get to you, I laid a foundation. He goes, when I got to Corinth, I called in the cement truck. Beep, beep. You know, he's like, and I laid that foundation down. But that is the foundation. I'm not the foundation. And I, I look at that and I kind of go, we got to make sure as a church that we never forget that. The gospel, everything God did to get to you in the person of Jesus. Do you know that you understand? Do you know that that's your foundation? Because if it isn't, Right? We, we effectively are just populating hell with really polite people. We're teaching behavior modification. We're teaching how to have a good life, right? How to be good at life. But if you don't have that foundation, then, then you're going to stand before him one day and he's going to go, ah, I don't know you. Like, have you, do you know that you've applied to your account the righteousness that you can't earn? that Jesus earned on your behalf. 
you apply that righteousness, that death that he died was to close out your account, and that life that he now lives, he lives through you. That is the gospel. That is how Paul calls it the foundation. I laid that foundation. He goes, make no mistake. I'm not a big deal. That's the foundation I laid as a wise builder, and someone else is building on it. The foundation, though, is Jesus. And that's why Paul says it again. He goes, I laid a foundation as a wise builder. Verse 10. We haven't even made it out of verse 10 yet. I'm sorry. I'm going to start going fast in a minute. And someone else <laughs> is building on it. Some of y'all are like, you talk so fast. I don't think you can go faster. Watch me. But make no mistake, the foundation, he says, is Jesus. He goes, each one of you should build with care. He goes, be very careful. Because it's easy to start thinking of other things as the foundation. But don't make no mistake. The foundation is, don't start building without that foundation. If you're in here and you're trying to do the church thing without that foundation of Jesus, you're doing it wrong. As someone who loves you, you're doing it. The foundation is Jesus. It is not church attendance. It is not being a moral person. It's not even baptism. Because we live in the South, it's easy for people to think, man, I am feeling some kind of way. Like, I don't know how to explain this. Will you baptize me? And it's like, oh, hold on. The foundation is Jesus, not baptism. Baptism is how you show that you're building your foundation on Jesus. But the foundation is Jesus. It's none of those other things. It's not tithing. It's none of the great things that you can do. He goes, I want to make sure you understand this. The foundation is Jesus. And then verse 11, he says it again, just to make doubly sure they understand. He goes, for no one can lay any foundation other than the one already laid which is Jesus. He's like, and by the way, in case you didn't catch, it's Jesus. It's everything God's done to get to you. And then you begin building your house. Then you begin building a life. Then you begin living as a result of that foundation. If anyone builds on this foundation, he says, verse 12, using gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hay, or straw, their work will be shown for what it is because the day will bring it to light. It will be revealed with fire and the fire will test the quality of of each person's work. So again, he's not saying this to scare anybody. But he is saying there's a coming day, right? We have a foundation in Christ and we begin living as a result. We don't live in order to achieve salvation. The salvation is by grace through faith in Jesus Christ, right? He's given that to you. But now as you've as you've experienced that change, it can't help but bleed out of you, right? I'll say it another way. Faith alone saves. You don't earn it. You don't work for it. You don't, like, you don't give for it. You don't, this church attendance doesn't do it. Baptism doesn't do it. Faith alone saves. But the faith that saves is never alone. You will see it in your life. There will be a difference. The way you live will change. You will begin to build a structure, right, that looks different. You build a life with these with these these materials that Paul is laying out for us. He calls them, you notice that he says gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hay or straw. So there's two categories there. You begin to build your life though as a response to the faith that saved you. Does that make I just want to make sure we all understand that. It's not works that saves you. It's a the works are a response to the salvation that has happened. Faith alone saves, but the faith that saves is never alone. You're going to see it in the way that you live. And Paul goes, now as you set about to build your life, you've got to build it using the right materials. And what he describes, he says there's going to be a day of fire that's coming, a day of judgment that's coming. And he's not saying that, he's not saying that to scare us. 
but he is telling us so that we have a heads up. And this is the part of the, the Christian doctrine, the Christian message I don't think we talk enough about. We're so motivated, I think, sometimes in a great way by the, what's called the, what theologians call the great white throne judgment, that day when everybody will stand before him and he will decide where you're going to spend your eternity. Right? Heaven or hell. But there's also, after that, according to the scriptures, and Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, we must all appear to, before the judgment seat of Christ. This is a different judgment. The judgment, and this is the one that's just for the Christ followers, just for the Christians. He's like, you're going to stand before him as a Christian, and he's going to decide what he says here, that each one may receive the things done in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. There's a reward system based in, uh, built up in heaven where God's going to judge the quality of how you spent your life down here, what you built with. Paul says there's, there's two different ways that you build. He, he says there's wood, hay, and stubble, or straw, and then the other is gold, silver, and costly stones. And he goes, which one, which one are you building with? There's two categories, though. You see that. There's two categories. And, and for our purposes this morning, I thought the easiest way, I'm certainly not the first one to think of this, but the easiest way to describe it is one category is called bricks, and the other category is called sticks. And Paul's basically saying, are you building with bricks or are you building with sticks? Sticks, when they go through a fire, you probably know this, they catch on fire. There's nothing left, right? Bricks, on the other hand, you can, you can build something with bricks, like my friend's house, and it catches on fire. The bricks are still there. All the other stuff is gone. Paul says there will be that day of reckoning, right? There will be a day of judgment when the quality of your work will be tested. That's what he just said. The quality of your work will be tested. The sticks will not remain. They're going to be gone. The bricks are what are going to last. And Paul kind of goes, which one are you building with? Bricks or sticks? And, and, and how do you know the difference? And I'm so glad that you asked, because the scriptures help us with that. The best way to know what the sticks are is to focus on what the bricks are. And the sticks, then, are everything else. So what are bricks? What are the things that are eternal? The scriptures teach that there are only three things that are eternal. One is God, God your Father, your, your Creator in heaven, right? With Him, the arrows go in both directions. There's no beginning, and there is no end. He created time, as crazy as this is in our brains, yet He stands outside of it. He looks down upon it. Since it's a creation of His, though, He is not contained by it. He is not ruled by it. He has no beginning. He has no end. He is eternal. The first thing is God is eternal. Second, the Bible says over and over and over, the word of God is eternal. The word of God. His words are life. No, they are eternal. This word will not fade, Jesus says, over and over throughout the scriptures. Th this is why we prioritize reading this book. We're kind of like, man, if he's taken something like that and dropped it in our laps, we should definitely invest in that. And then the third thing that's eternal that will not end are the souls of people. You and me. That part of you that will go on even after the body does not. So what are sticks? Everything else. <laughs> right? Everything else. You guys, do you read something like that and you kind of go, why do I get so distracted with things that just don't matter? And I think Paul's asking the same thing. We spend so much of our energy so much of our time worrying about things that are sticks. They're just going to, I mean, it's just not going to matter tomorrow. Nobody's going to care. You're not going to be standing before Jesus one day and he's going to say, hey, so uh, tell me about that portfolio you were building, right? 
He's just, we get so caught up in things that just don't matter. Guys, if it's not connected to God, his word, or the souls of people, it's a stick. It's a distraction. It's not, in the end, going to matter. There's a fire coming, and what remains are the bricks, those things that are eternal. Can I tell you about some some sticks that I was considering this week? That I think are easy, because I think there's an enemy out there who wants to take things from the brick column and move them to the stick column, and things from the stick column and move them to the, he likes to get squirrely with all that, a little bit confusing, right? He gets, he likes to get us confused, it's like a maze out there sometimes, and there's things that I think are very famous sticks that sometimes we begin looking to as bricks, we get a little off base, one is financial or worldly success, we can be so driven to accomplish the next thing, to meet the next goal. And I kind of go, man, when we're standing before him one day, I don't think Jesus is going to care much about that. It's a stick. It is fleeting. It is not that important. One is celebrity or popularity or a following. We as a culture are so motivated with having an audience or followers, right? When I'm standing before Jesus one day, I doubt he's going to go, how many people were following you on Twitter? Can I see your iPhone? You know, he's not going to ask that stuff. Why do we get so distracted with it now? Being a good person. Your reputation. That is a good thing. It is good to have a good reputation. But sometimes I think we get so distracted by it that we're so worried by what other people think about us that it becomes our motivator. And when we're standing before him one day, no offense to you, but it's not going to make a hill of beans worth a difference to me. What you think about me. It's going to mean a lot of difference what he thinks. And sometimes that's how I weigh it out. I'm like, okay, is this going to, am I going to care what this person thought? Or God, am I going to care what you thought? Approval can be such a stick, but we treat it like a brick. Consumerism. Driving to that next thing and that next thing and that next thing. Owning that next thing. And we can get so caught up in that, right? And we forget that those things are all going to burn one day anyway. We've mentioned some others, church attendance, baptism. Thomas Aquinas, one of the early church fathers, says, we basically, we disorder our passions. That's what happens here. These are all good things. But if we get them in the wrong order, it, it begins to affect us in really negative ways. It's good to love your job. It's good to love your family. But if you love your family more than your job, that's good. If you love your job more than your family, that's dangerous right? Disordered passions, taking things from the stick column and moving them to the brick column. A good exercise the Apostle Paul would say over and over in this section of Scripture, is it a brick or is it a stick? Is it going to survive the fire? This thing that you're worried about, this thing that's receiving so much of your attention or your time or your passion or your priority, is it a brick or is it a stick? As a church, we're not immune to this. It's easy to begin looking at sticks as bricks. I remember this past week. This past week, um, my family went up to, to a spot we've got up in North Carolina. Hannah has been telling me for like the last two months that on the last day of school, when I pick up the kids from the car line, I'm going straight to the condo, and you can come if you want, you know? And it's like, oh, boy, and that's exactly what she did. She picked up Benjamin and the kids, and, and, and they all went up to the condo, and that was on, like, Thursday or Friday, and I was like, well, i got to preach Sunday. So right after last Sunday's sermon, I got in the car, and I drove, and I met them. And I was only planning on staying a day or two. I wasn't going to stay for long. 
And I was moved, and some of you parents know exactly what I'm about to talk about. My sixth grader, just finished sixth grade, moving into seventh grade, my Benjamin wanted to hang out with me. Kids who are listening, don't underestimate how often your parents might feel like they are annoying you. I figure I'm pretty cool. But most of the time I feel like Ben's is annoyed by me. <laughs> but I got up there and, and he wanted to hang out. He's like, Dad, what are we going to go do now? You want to go fishing? How many fish do you think we can catch? What do you want to do? They're all going to go do this. What do you want to do, Dad? Dad, do you want to go on a walk? Do you want to hang out? Like the whole, it was, it was unbelievable. And, and, and I was so moved by it. It was like, man, I don't want this to end, but I've got a church to get back to. And that's a brick. This is a stick right now. Being on vacation, that's lazy. That's, that's silly, right? That's trivial. That's a stick. The church is the brick. And so I got a little bit confused, right? And I remember I was, I was thinking about leaving Monday because I had a meeting on Tuesday, and I called Skip, and he was like, shut up. Your boy wants to hang out with you? He's like, you stay there. That's the brick. The stuff back here, the paper, that can wait. Those are sticks, man. We got that. You stay with your kid. His soul, is a, that's eternal. I got confused for a minute. It's so easy to do. To start forgetting which ones are the bricks and which ones are the sticks. So many of us, we've got to get ourselves under alignment with this book. That's why we do this. We come back to this book, this unchanging book, this eternal word of God. And we go, okay, God, my senses are telling me this is a brick and this is a stick. What do you say? And we realign ourselves under that. We're approaching miraculously. I'm so excited to share this. And you guys already know it. But through your giving and your generosity and what the Lord is doing in this church, we have watched him like a year ago. We had like a $1.2 million debt on this building. I don't know if you knew that. $1.2 million. And we're like, boy, I wonder if we can try to pay that off. And before we knew it, it was like, we're paying it off. Like, we're in the 200s now. Like, we're almost done. That's crazy. Yeah, you can... And, and the whole time we're like, is that is that a stick? Like, is that what's dry? Like, is that a stick? Is it just a milestone that we want to celebrate that we can we can kind of brag about? Like, hey, look what we did, you know? Or is this is this a brick? Like, where we want to be able to do this so that we can be more generous towards other things? And so we've all along the way gone, okay, God, keep this a brick for us. We want to understand the point of why we're doing this. We're paying off the building so we can be more generous and more generous and more generous. And each point along the way we've increased what we give to missions we've increased what we've done to other things and we're approaching the the end of this bill right the end of what we owe on this building and you begin looking at sticks if i'm honest with you because we're human we're flawed we're sinful and you start going i wonder like if we did this or if we did this in the room or we bought those lights and i kind of went this week it was like god was going seriously <laughs> seriously that's what you're going to spend that like you, you, you want, you want to, I don't want to be standing before him one day and have to explain why I paid for a new sound system or paid for a redesign or paid for this. It was like, God, help us to be generous with this. Because the point of us, the reason we exist is to, is, to, is to give this away, right? To be generous to other people. And so a couple of months ago, Christy and I had the opportunity to go sit in on a meeting uh, with a with a. Uh, ministry, I guess you would call it, called Habitat for Humanity. You guys are familiar with this. And they started talking about like, uh, like this, 
this ministry that they run where they go, they build homes for people who live in your community and need a home built, right? And so they describe this opportunity that we have. And there, Christy and I got to meet Niasia, this beautiful young lady you see her on the screen in front of you. She's a Myrtle Beach native. She's the proud mother of two sons, Jaden and Cameron. She joined their home buyer program in fall of 21. She currently works here in Myrtle Beach at a restaurant. She loves spending time with her boys. She thinks that owning her own home, having her own home will be an opportunity for her to have a backyard. And she's like, boy, with two boys at home, we need a backyard. Like she was excited about the possibility of owning a home, having a home built for her through Habitat for Humanity. And as we sat in on this meeting, Christy goes, that's a brick. That's a brick. A sound machine, <laughs> right? A new sound, new lighting rigs in this room. Those are all sticks. That's not why we exist. People like Niasia, that's why we exist. And so we contacted the director of Habitat. We were like, put us down for, I'm not going to talk numbers because it's tacky, but put us down for a big old chunk, like a big old amount. And guys, we are building Niasia a home in Conway. Is that cool? She, you are building her. She's going to be here with us in two weeks. Like, she, wanted, she doesn't want to just be, like, one of those people who we talk about. She wants you to know her. We want you to know her. Like, it's going to be an amazing relationship, this partnership with Niasia. She's going to be with us in two weeks. We're giving towards that end. We've committed a, a pretty large chunk from here at the church towards Habitat for Humanity for this project. And then we said anything else that anybody else wants to give in addition over and above what we've already pledged, um, we will give to you as well. And there will be work dates. Like we can actually go and physically put our hands on building a house for this young lady. Those are bricks. Those are bricks. Paul goes, man, that's the stuff that will make it through the fire. We're going to have to give an account before Jesus one day. And that's the kind of stuff I want to be known for. And you are known for. I got a text yesterday from Christy. Can I, I just want to read it to you, and then we'll shut up. She goes, here's just one example of why All Nations Cafe ministry is so important. She goes, this is Max. He's one of our J1 students from the Dominican Republic. About a week ago, while Max was working, he fell from a platform 60 feet high. The rope attached to his harness broke. He free fell, landed on some rocks, rolled into a lake, lost consciousness, went to the ER, miraculously didn't break any bones, but boy was his, I mean, he was messed up. He can barely walk now. Standing is painful. He hasn't been able to work, and no one from his work called him or visited him. He's alone at the hospital. Alone in a foreign country, going through this, and if it weren't for our all-nations volunteers, you guys, calling, visiting, taking meals. Look at Miss Kathy Winfrey. That is just, uh, oh, wait. Yeah, that's Kathy. Okay, I started to get worried. Thanks, Tom. <laughs> he would be going through all of this by himself. And I, I hear that story, and I go, that's a brick. You know why? Because Max is a person with a soul. And that's what matters. That's what matters. Paul goes, don't get caught up in all that other stuff. Don't get caught up in, it's so easy to do. There's an enemy out there who would love to take things in your life from that brick column to the stick column. 
and take things out of that stick column, things that don't really matter, and put them in the brick column. And what I'm praying all along is as a church, as a person, I mean, I saw this in my own life this week. God, I want to build with bricks and not with sticks. I want to build with bricks and not with sticks. Those sticks, like sometimes they can be really important sticks, really important sticks. But in the end, they're still just sticks. So we hold them, but we hold them loosely. We don't let them own us. And you keep first things, you keep those bricks important. Want to build with bricks and not with sticks. Thank you again for joining us online. We hope you enjoyed the message. To connect with us, you can follow us on Instagram or Facebook. For more information about who we are, check out seacoastvineyard.com. We would love to hear from you. So make sure you leave us a review or drop us a message. Until next time, have a great day.